It's the Pistons Pod. Here's your host, Matt Derry. Folks, we're getting ready for the NBA Draft Lottery. It is coming. We welcome into the Pistons Pod. Matt Derry with you right here on Pistons.com Lottery. Coming up on Tuesday night, 8.30 on ESPN. Certainly an opportunity for the Pistons uh, to have a, a fun night. Uh, 52.1% chance of landing a top four pick. Of course, this is an organization that has not uh, had good lottery luck as of late. And our guest today to talk about the lottery and the draft, a, a name the Detroiters know very well, a longtime NBA draft analyst now at NBABigBoard.com and also host the Locked on NBA Draft podcast on the Locked on Podcast Network. It's Chad Ford and joins me now. Chad, uh, thanks so much. I'm just uh, happy that that anyone in Detroit will will uh, <laughs> listen to me again after 2003. Oh, but, you know, maybe maybe time heals all wounds. <laughs> I you know I was gonna let you I was gonna let you off easy, but you brought it up. So uh, you know, Chad Ford, of course, you are infamous for the Darko pick. There are Pistons fans, and you and I talked many years ago. There are Pistons fans that actually do blame you for the Pistons selecting uh, Darko Milicic. Um, what, 17 years ago or whatever it was? My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I joked about it in my column today uh, when I was referring to the fact that the Pistons have never won the number one pick in the draft, the highest they've drafted is two, which was Darko, which was all my fault. And, uh, you know, I'll, t- I'll take responsibility for loving Darko and, and thinking that that was a great pick um, for the Pistons and spending a lot of time actually sort of embedded with the Pistons during that draft, which really didn't have anything to do with Darko. Uh, but just had to do with, you know, some work that I was doing with ESPN at the time. But no, I was not in the draft room. I did not call David Stern uh, <laughs> uh, over over the objections of the Pistons front office and draft uh, Darko Milicic for for the Pistons. Are, are you and we're talking to Chad Ford, by the way, and we go back 18 years on this Darko thing. But are you one of these people that subscribes to the theory that, the Pistons would have won multiple titles or more titles if they had Carmelo? Or do you think, hey, look, based on the chemistry that they had and then the acquisition of Rashid later on, uh, you know, the next season, that uh, that they did just fine? Yeah, I think they will. First of all, they did do just fine. Um, you know, one. Two, Larry Brown probably doesn't play any rookie uh, and, you know, I was really close to the Pistons at the time. Carmelo was not number three on their board. Chris Bosh was, um, mm. actually. Mm. And and that was the one guy that there were some serious deliberations inside the Pistons uh, between Milicic and Bosh. And obviously, Bosh goes on to have a Hall of Fame career. But, you know, the question for me is, you know, Bosh was also a skinny fairly underdeveloped uh, freshman coming out of college, I'm not sure that he wouldn't have suffered the same fate that Darko did, at least as far as struggling to crack uh, a, a veteran Pistons rotation, which is, you know, really interesting. And a lot of people point to Dwayne Wade and say, well, why wasn't Dwayne Wade there? But, you know, Dwayne Wade going uh, fifth uh, in the draft was actually considered at the time like a, a slight reach. Uh, for the Miami Heat uh, when they did that. And so he wasn't quite in that conversation with Carmelo and Bosch and Darko and LeBron, at, you know, at the time. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's you never know. And you never know how individual prospects are going to react to the situation that Darko got into. But, uh, I, you know, I think their best case scenario is they passed on Darko and, and selected Bosch. And I'm not totally sure that the result would have been any different. 
Matt Derry here on the Pistons Pod with Chad Ford. Let's talk some draft and the lottery coming up on Tuesday. Uh, uh, Chad, uh, your latest column, which you just referenced at uh, NBA Big Board, um, dot com is fantastic, where you kind of go over the scenarios for each team if they were to get one, two, three, or four. A big picture for Detroit. How do you like where they sit right now? Uh, under now will be second year GM Troy Weaver in, in this sort of uh, you know retool, uh, rebuild, restore that Troy calls it. Well, I I think by all accounts they had a successful draft. Uh, last year uh Sadiq Bay was obviously the last of the three uh first round picks that they had but you know showed the best in year one but, though I don't think that's a huge surprise I think one of the uh reasons that teams were high on Bay was they thought that he was one of the more NBA ready prospects in last year's draft and he certainly showed it but you know great production I think out of Isaiah Stewart uh last year and you know Killian Hayes got up to really really rocky start and i definitely think pistons fans can wonder what would have been different if tyrese halliburton uh, for example had been the pick there and certainly a guy that i was that i was higher on than hayes last year during the draft but with that said i i think hayes has a lot of promise i I think he played better when he came back from injury i I don't think by any stretch of the imagination anybody should be ready to give up on him yet i think the transition to the nba and the position that he's playing are, are some of the hardest to make and so, you know, when you have those three young players as a solid foundation, I think everybody knows what Detroit needs now, which is that they need a star. Uh, and, you know, that really becomes an anchor. I'm not sure Hayes, Stewart, or Sneak Bay are going to be NBA stars, but they're all, I think, could be important pieces on, on a good team. All right, so you look at this draft, um, and you mentioned some of the very good pieces that the Pistons have. And, heck, even the second-round pick, Saban Lee, Chad, had a nice year last year. Now you want to add to it, and this draft is loaded. Um, the position that the Pistons are in, you mentioned uh, over 50% of a chance of getting that top-four pick. Um, what, do you, what do you think as you look at this at the, at the Pistons' uh, chances here and maybe finally getting a little luck? Well, I, I, don't, I, I will say one thing. I don't think Detroit – drafts for need here uh, they they uh, one great thing about this draft is that there's four up to six players uh four for sure up to six players that could be tier one like all-star level prospects this is a very very deep draft at the top and detroit has a really good chance of landing in the top five uh it's a 52 percent chance of landing in the top four but i think it's a 79 percent chance of landing in the top five and so that, that you know they're gonna they're gonna come away with a guy that uh, in many drafts would have been the number one pick even if they don't get the number one pick. I, I have them if they get the number one pick. I think most teams, not all teams, but most teams are are fairly strongly leaning towards Kate Cunningham, and I, I think he's a great fit there. I, he does do some of the stuff that Sadiq Bay does, uh, and you know so some Pistons fans may worry a little bit about this, but Kate Cunningham is an infinitely better prospect. Um, and uh, and I, I think he has the chance to to be a superstar uh, in the NBA. And I think he's the, the safest pick there. I think the surprise for maybe some people is Jalen Green out of the G League Ignite, who is hands down the best pure scorer in this draft. And the guy that I hear from most of the NBA scouts has this sort of it factor that they believe if there's like a superstar that you know you're marketing around that that just you know catches on in the NBA. It's Jalen Green. He is an electric athlete. 
uh, plays above the rim, shoots the ball well, and is just wired to score. It won't surprise me at all if Jalen Green's a 25-point-per-game to 30-point-per-game score in the NBA. Chad Ford uh, with me, NBABigBoard.com, NBA draft analyst for many, many years, of course, at ESPN and and out the Lockdown Podcast Network as well. Um, You mentioned Cade. Let's go back to Cunningham for a second. You know, people are saying, well, they just drafted Killian Hayes last year, so they need a point guard. But positionless basketball now, right? Right, Chad? Things are different than maybe they were five, ten years ago, right? It is. And, you know, some of these prospects that you're going to see at the top, you know, have a a fairly defined position like Jalen Green. He's a two guard. That's what he is. Kane Cunningham, positionless, can can defend three positions on the floor, can play multiple positions on the floor, including point guard. Evan Mobley uh, is going to be uh, a four or a five, depending on how you want to play him, uh, and and probably even has the foot speed to guard some threes in the NBA. Jalen Suggs plays both backcourt positions, can be a a one or a two. That 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 is a major appeal for prospects when you can move them and play them in in multiple positions and and especially on the defensive end uh, where there's so many defensive schemes now that require switchable players and players that can switch and defend multiple positions. That's why Cunningham is so appealing. Evan Mobley is extremely appealing uh, for that reason as well, uh, as is Jalen Suggs. Uh, You know, the the first three guys, Cunningham, Jalen Green, or Evan Mobley, like all three of those prospects would be, in my opinion, home runs. Uh, for the Detroit Pistons, any of those prospects could could just be a major, major boost uh, in the long term look at who Detroit becomes. I don't think one guy alone is going to turn around Detroit in one year, but adding a piece like that, a superstar to your roster suddenly attracts other free agents, uh, suddenly puts yourself in a position to know how to build the rest of the team around this guy so that you can compliment them. And that's what Detroit's really lacking now. Who is going to be that go-to guy on the team? And so any of those top three picks, like to me, it's a no-brainer. And then as you get to, you know, Suggs or uh, Jonathan Kaminga or even uh, Florida State's Scotty Barnes, who some teams really like as a 6'8 with a 7'3 wingspan that kind of reminds people of a young Draymond Green. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of talent in this draft. Tell me about Green, Jalen Green. You mentioned him before and gave us a little snapshot. How many times did you get to see him live in the G League? And I know it was kind of a shortened season, and things have been crazy over the last year with the pandemic, and thank goodness we're getting out of it. The G League team for the Pistons, the Motor City Crews, will be playing here next year. But um, tell me a little bit about how much you've seen Green and what stood out for you in, in that competition. Yeah, I watched every every G League Ignite game this year, which is not – so amazing when you i think they played like 14 14 15 games uh this year uh but you know that was going to be our chance to see those guys i'll I'll say this the g league is in is a considerably better league than ncaa basketball um you've got the elite players from the college basketball they're all a little bit older many of them have made an nba roster that level of competition is significantly higher than what a, a freshman college uh, player would would face, hmm. and I think that that is really I- intriguing because Jalen Green played so well against guys that were first round picks, second round picks, players that were three, four, five years older than him, sometimes ten years older than him, and I think the thinking was that the G League Ignite was just going to get destroyed uh, because of the you know focusing on these primarily young players. 
And instead, especially Jalen Green, I mean, he really, in my opinion, like stood out as someone who looked like he fit, looked like he was very, very comfortable and teams had a really hard time stopping him. That all bodes well. The, the scouts that, you know, do this for a living have told me it's really easy to translate what someone does in the G League to the NBA. It's always a little bit more of a translation when you're talking about college or international to there, but it's a very direct translation. And and they, I think everyone agrees Green is going to be a dominant scorer in the NBA. I think the question is, will he do other things? Will he defend? Are there other areas of his game that will come along that, that make him from a star to a superstar? And I, I think that's a legitimate question to ask, but I'm very confident that he has the athleticism the, the feel for the game to to be a dominant scorer. You know, I know you're not, and I know you're not doing this. You're not trashing college basketball, but wow, that's that, that's a pretty interesting point you bring up about the quality of play at that formerly known as the D League, now G League level. That's that's a nice endorsement for that league. Yeah, it's it's not it's not trashing college, but you know, you think about it, you know, it's probably I think there's something in the neighborhood of uh, there was like three hundred maybe it was 400 prospects who declared for the draft this year at a college of which 60 will get drafted of which, you know, maybe 40 of them, you know, end up having some sort of role in the G league or first round, you know, so you're talking about the elite of the league that even make it to the G league. Right. Uh, And, and so most of the players that you're playing against in college will never play in the G league or NBA. They, They probably won't even play in Europe. But everyone that Jalen Green had played against, every single player uh, was either in the league, uh, was or or was a dominant college basketball player, and and that that's that's why the translate. And plus, then you're playing pro sets. The college game and the NBA game are a little different. They're running pro sets in the G League. Ignite Brian Shaw was the head coach there, and so you're also seeing players put into NBA like offensive and defensive sets, where oftentimes. You know, like it's always been tough to, for example, scout Syracuse players because they play zone exclusively on defense and they don't play zone in the NBA. And so, you know, trying to translate how a player defends in a zone to how they'll defend the NBA is really tough. But that's just not the case uh, when you get to the G League. So, yeah, that that same goes for Jonathan Kaminga, who is a year younger uh, than Jalen Green, who actually reclassified Kaminga was an 18 year old. Um, out there playing and actually he, he struggled a little bit more than Jalen Green but he actually he showed really well as did Isaiah Todd and Dacian Nix um, all of those players actually did really well and I think you're more and more um, high school players take the G League route uh, because I think they saw now uh, that you're going to get the exposure that you need to be a high draft pick you know as somebody that's a college basketball fan personally it's like you know, I'm listening to you talk, and and you're talking about the level of competition and the maturity that some of these other guys have, and I and I hear you 100. percent But then I go back and think about, all right, here's Jalen Suggs. Uh, would he be a fit on the Pistons? Sure. I mean, he hit that shot to send Gonzaga to the championship game, and you're like that experience. You were not going to get that maybe in a half-empty gym in the G League, but again, what you're saying is quality of play, quality of player on the other side, and. So there's an argument to make there, but that's why I like a guy like Jalen Suggs because we saw it on the biggest stage on that Saturday night at the Final Four, you know? Yeah, if I were to make an argument for not doing G League, I would say, look, there's so much. It's so fun to be in college. I'm a college professor. 
I'm a huge college fan. Um, you know, two, you know, the, the passion and the excitement of the fans and, and to being able to play in a conference tournament or the final four, there's no experience quite like that. And, you know, Jalen Suggs stepping up the way that he did is something that Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga didn't get to do uh, in, in, a, in a setting like that. Um, and, you know, and Suggs was fantastic and I absolutely love him. Uh, so those those are all strong reasons to think about college. The other thing I will say, though, is that, you know, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, they were able to sign endorsements. They were able to work 24 uh, seven on their craft, on their game. They don't have limitations from the NCAA about practices. They didn't have to go to classes like there was a lot. They had to travel uh, much like a pro player travels. You know, for a lot of for a lot of prospects, especially prospects that may be struggling financially or what have you, I think this is a really viable route. And I, I'm just a big believer that that young people should have options. And I think the G League is a great option. I think certainly college basketball is a great option as well. I'll always be a huge college basketball fan. Um, but I, I do think that fans are going to have to adapt more and more to seeing some of these people like Jalen Green and Kaminga coming out of the G League now. And instead of looking down on that, I actually think that from an analysis standpoint, if they play well in that setting, that's a pretty good indicator of what they're going to do in the NBA. Chad Ford, NBABigBoard.com, locked on NBA draft analyst as well, does an awesome job. And please subscribe to his stuff at NBABigBoard.com. I read his, his, his article today about where these teams could go. You mentioned Evan Mobley a little bit. Um, you know, it's funny, you mentioned Bosch earlier and the Pistons having a consideration for Chris Bosch and Joe D back 18 years ago. Is there a comparison there, do you see, between Chris Bosch and Evan Mobley? I think I think there is offensively, for sure, and body type, um, you know, comparative size, all of those. They, they, they look a lot alike, the way they move, uh, the way that they play. There is one difference that I actually think Mobley is, frankly, a better prospect than Bosch coming out of college, which is that he's a pretty elite rim protector, which Bosch really never was in the NBA. That wasn't that wasn't his game. But Mobley's actually proven to be an elite rim protector, which I think is <laughs> makes him a bit of a, a unicorn. I mean, I've had some teams say, look, he's kind of a combination between Bosch and Anthony Davis. And, you know, like you think about those, you're like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's, that's incredible. He's He's got to put on strength and weight i mean that is going to be the one area that if you're watching evan mobley you're going to going to clearly see that some some players are going to be able to physically manhandle him down in the post the good news is he's got quick feet he can play the four in the nba i think he's got the ability to stretch the floor one of the things i really liked about mobley at usc was he, he wasn't on a great team but he they, they experienced a lot of success with him and one of the things that he can do that you don't see a lot of seven footers do is he can catch that ball at the top of the top of the key and he can create off the dribble uh, for himself. And so, you know, you got a guy who can create off the dribble for himself can certainly shoot, uh, shoot the basketball. He'll continue to improve there. He wasn't like an elite three point shooter, but he's got the ability to do that and he can score in the post and he can block shots and rebound. And he has the foot speed to go out and guard big men that are, are more stretch fours that are playing out on the perimeter that's the model of an NBA big. And if you were to argue, look, that's the guy you should take over Cunningham, I think he's got the best argument uh, to be the number one pick over Cunningham. And I think that the argument for Cunningham has more to do with the NBA's obsession right now with these point wings, point forwards, 
who can switch and play multiple positions. It's the hardest position to find in the NBA. I think Cunningham rises above Mobley more because of the positions he plays than just on talent. On on sheer talent and size, I think there's a strong argument that Mobley might might be better. He just might not play the preferred position right now in the NBA. All right, final thing, Chad. Uh, you, you mentioned it. If ping pong balls do not go the Pistons' way and somehow they sit there at six, which would just be an utter disaster, to be quite honest with you, um, you know, people have said, and I'm reading your stuff about, all right, it could go Cunningham, Green, Mobley, Suggs, Kaminga is the top five. You referenced Scotty Barnes. Is there anybody else that's in that upper tier five, six in case they have to they they have to draft at number six? And look, Troy Weaver's done such a good job uh, already that it really doesn't matter maybe where the number is. But you know what the fans want? They want number one. But who's on that five six line? Uh, is it is it Barnes? I, I think I think that probably most likely this will be decision between Jonathan Kaminga who has elite defensive potential, great size, athleticism, already has an NBA body, even though he's one of the youngest players in the draft, but is, is still pretty raw prospect offensively and is a guy that you're just going to have to be patient with, but has major, major upside, would have been considered a potential number one pick in the draft next year had he not reclassified. And Scotty Barnes, who is one of the strangest players that you'll ever see at you know 6'8", 230, seven foot three wingspan, primarily played point guard coming off the bench for Florida State, has an excellent feel for the game, great ball handler, is a monster on the defensive end because of his ability to play, you know, multiple positions defensively. And just really the question mark about him was his jump shot. He he, he didn't take a lot of threes. When he did, he wasn't particularly accurate. He wasn't a great free throw shooter. He was actually better in high school, which some gives me some solace that maybe in a limited sample size we just didn't see enough, but also has an infectious personality. Scotty Barnes, man, co- his coaching staff and his teammates just absolutely loved him. The trainers that are working with him now just say he's a, almost got like this Magic Johnson as a, as a like as a personality, mm. um, just sort of coming in and lights up a room um, and. You know, there's other guys we could talk about: Davian Mitchell, Franz Wagner, you know, Keon Johnson. I mean, there's you know, Jalen Johnson out of Duke. I mean, there's other guys that I think you could put there, but I'm I think the top six is kind of firming up. Chad, this was a lot of fun. Great to uh, catch up with you once again, and all the best. And hopefully, we'll talk uh, maybe after the draft and, and get you back on and get your thoughts on what Detroit does. Awesome! Thanks so much for having me on the show. Chad Ford, NBA draft expert and analyst, been doing this for a very long time, uh, formerly of ESPN. Read his stuff. Go there now to uh, nbabigboard.com and, and listen to him on the Locked On an NBA Draft podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Matt Derry with you right here on Pistons.com. We'll find out Tuesday night at 8.30 where Detroit will draft, and we'll talk about it next week.